minutes, 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds, guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour. as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. This is Grant Cameron, and this is uh, part two of my little series on the question of is the UFO intelligence extraterrestrial? When I did my first part, I had left out the biggest reason that um, we have to have some doubt about whether this is extraterrestrial, but I didn't think about it until after, and uh, all sorts of new things came to me. So this is sort of an addition to the stuff I had mentioned in part one. Skeptics, UFO skeptics, have always brought up the idea that you can't get here from there, that the distances are too great. Now, as the world views have changed and we've got new ideas, we talk about wormholes and portals and zendras, to explain, yes, this is how ETs can come from these foreign planets, but that still does not answer the question of how um, these beings can be biological like us. The biggest um, thing that indicates that we are probably not dealing with extraterrestrials is one of the other questions that I used to ask experiencers all the time. I'd ask them, did you see any clothes? Did you see any sex organs, belly button, um, stuff like this? But the other question I would ask them is, did the alien ever get any older? Um, now, basically, one of the people I talked to, and nobody ever said the alien got any older. They always would say, no, the alien always looked the same. When I was a little kid. The biggest example was Betty Andreasen and Bob Luca, her husband, who I interviewed a few years ago. And they both had their first face-to-face encounter with beings in 1946. So Betty was a young girl at the time, and then she was, when I interviewed, she was in her 80s. So she had gone from this little girl to uh, an old uh, lady. And when I asked, did the alien ever get any older, Bob Lucas said, no, but then aliens live a long time. And this is left brain sort of uh, analysis that sort of backs up that, well, you know, they just don't get any older. But it is a big problem that everybody will describe this. And they'll also describe that um, the aliens never have any wrinkles. 
they never have any flaws on their skin and that it actually looks like they're molded out of plastic especially the the small grays that um, this something weird about the the skin of the, of the of the the being so aliens never get any older and then you have the uh, the story that has come up more and more as we go along um, the free foundation Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Experiences, started by Ray Hernandez and Edgar Mitchell, uh, did a survey of 4,200 experiencers. And this, no matter what you want to say, is very powerful information. People can say, well, this doesn't make sense. But then you're trying to put up your opinion versus 4,200 people who actually had experience. Experience is very important. And when they questioned these people, they asked them the question of, did the alien ever uh, talk to you about a past life association? 24% of all the people who answered the question said yes, they were talked about it. Now, if you take a look at um, different people who had encounters, uh, Chris Bledsoe, for example. Chris Bledsoe had his encounter in 2007. He's regressed by Michael O'Connell, in 2008 from Harvard and he is asked the question when did you first encounter these beings and Chris said they have been with me since before I was born and Michael the regressionist said you mean in a past lifetime and Chris said yes and this is something that comes up over and over and over again witnesses talking about the fact that they had their encounter involved aliens that were with them the same alien in the last lifetime so if that's true then there's literally no chance this is a biological entity living on another planet that just happened to stumble upon the earth tom campbell i just heard an interview where he talks about the same thing that he had these encounters with beings when he was eight years old he wrote the the whole theory about the my big toe the theory of everything and is very well respected for for his research and he stated that he had past life encounters with that were part of the experiences that were, he was linked into with these beings when he was eight years old. Um, and many others will talk about a soul contract, that they came in on a contract, and um, Sherry Wilde is one, Ron Johnson is another, and this idea that um, the being actually goes back before they're born and that there's an agreement between the being and um, the the person uh, to do something uh, and another example would be um, Mike Cleland the famous owl UFO guy who talks about um, an encounter in Utah where he talks about being pulled out of his body which is another problem with this this whole thing he gets pulled out of his body he's above the craft and he goes into the craft and at that point, he basically is told by the beings that you have a contract and you had agreed to do this. And uh, it, the idea was he was to tell the story about the owls and write the books. He became very upset when he realized he had this contract, that he didn't realize life was going to be this tough. All these kind of things where people have pre-life agreements, uh, past life agreements and, and arrangements, and then come in here uh, all go very strongly against the idea that this is um, a, an extraterrestrial biological being who is here to explore or to um, save their race through cloning or, or whatever they're doing. Um, 
it, when this free survey also showed um, this idea that 26 percent uh, uh, claimed that they had this agreement, that they had this sole contract, that whatever was happening with the beings that they were interacting with uh, was part of a plan, a pre-life uh, plan. And that changes everything. That makes this a spiritual thing and a completely different uh, kettle of fish. Um, when and um, David Jacobs talks about this quite a bit, and you'll hear this quite a bit with um, different uh, uh, regressionists. Uh, when people ask, when the when the the people ask, where where is or where are you from? Uh, Twenty-seven percent stated that um, they were told where the beings were from, which leaves seventy-three percent. Uh, we're not told, and you get these uh, stories from the beings you don't, you wouldn't understand. Um, it's, it's far, far away. Um, these kind of things. You're asking too many questions. Just relax and don't ask questions. And the whole idea is, if they are just simply from another planet, it doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't just tell people where they're from. Um, I mentioned the thing already about the wrinkles, the the skin being very uh, unusual. That uh, even though this being may be hundreds of years old, it's completely the skin is completely smooth, almost like a plastic mold. There's no um, you know no wrinkles, no uh, uh, freckles or anything like that that would indicate uh, age. Um, yet when you come to the and I've I've mentioned this in a number of interviews. Uh, when you people will say, well, it was a gray, but when you I've done a, a project where I actually took all the grays from various people, Whitley Strieber, Betty Andreessen, the Hills. When you start putting these together and you start uh, comparing one to the other, they don't look the same at all. And that's you get this idea that um, there there may not be a single gray. It may be. Uh, a, a concept of grays that people link into and that everybody puts their own little spin on what the gray looked like, whether it had pupils or whether it had almond-shaped eyes or wraparound eyes or, um, you know, ridges on the head. And you start seeing all these different things that the beings actually don't look the same, that we are part of, of what we are seeing, which would indicate um, this may not be as physical um, an entity as we thought. Another thing that goes against the idea that this is some sort of biological alien from another planet is something that comes up quite often in UFO uh, literature, and that is the fact that the beings can change into balls of light, or that they come out of balls of light. Uh, here's a quote from Betty Andreessen in her book, uh, A Lifting of the Veil. Our bodily forms changed into beings of light as we entered the door. The elder immediately changed to a shining white light, while the gray being turned into a body of blue light, and I became a glowing form of yellow light. Doesn't sound much like an extraterrestrial biological entity to me. It sounds more like some sort of uh, etheric being, and the number one being that is seen reported in the free survey is uh, energy beings, not grays. So this is uh, these are beings that are uh, balls of light, uh, shaped like, like humans, have human form, but they're light forms. And uh, Susie Hansen also talks about this fact, that her uh, son was brought on board the ship and he was a blue ball of light and she was a purple ball of light. 
and you see this over and over again. Now that goes, people will say immediately, well, well, that means they're they're like interdimensional beings. They're not extraterrestrial, uh, but they're interdimensional. But that is simply using one unexplained to explain another unexplained. We really don't know what that means. Uh, I think the issue I'm talking about is that this is not a physical being as we originally thought. Uh, one of the big ones I've always brought up against um, brought up is the idea that um, the abduction experience may be um, an out-of-body experience. You get more and more reports of this. Um, Mike Clellan talked about this in his encounter in Utah where he got the impression he had been pulled out of his body and he was floating above the, the craft. And then when he went on, he sort of went into a gray suit and almost like a rubber type suit and became a gray and was moving around in this uh, suit. Uh, the head of MUFON from um, Japan states uh, in the interview I did with him clearly that he had 22 encounters with grays in 2022 and every single one of them was out of the body. He had learned how to do this at the, remote, uh, the Monroe Institute and was using the out-of-body experience to go to the ship and encounter these greys. That's pretty strong evidence of um, this kind of stuff. And Betty Andreasen talks about the one encounter she has where she gets brought back to the trailer and she said, I was so happy to be back at the trailer and she went running in and saw uh, Bob sleeping and then she saw herself sitting on the side of the bed. And uh, so she went back into her body and laid down and went back to sleep. So there's a lot of people will describe this fact that this is an out-of-body experience, which then starts to maybe answer the questions of why do aliens poke people and wake them up when uh, they're, they're, they're in the bedroom and then basically tell them to go back to sleep again. And that may be to dissociate the person, to uh, frighten the person, which forces them to dissociate, which then makes it easier to get the uh, astral body out and take it on board the ship, which does not mean that there's physical events, that there, the events on the, the ship are happening where uh, these events are taking place, but it's a different type of uh, physical reality than what we've got. Um, one of the big things that uh, I think I'm one of the few people that talks about, and this I got from Jim Semivan talking, I'm a big fan of Dr. Michael Newton uh, on this whole idea of life between lives, that we go from lifetime to lifetime and spend this time learning in classrooms between lives and make arrangements to come into the world to do certain things, to learn certain things. And um, according to Michael Newton, uh, the 7,000 people that he regressed, they all basically say that when you leave the world, you go in front of a council of people and you do a life review. There's between three and 12 people on the council. They have these medallions around their necks and uh, they um, basically ask you, how did it go? And you're in a uh, sort of, people get the impression sort of like in a, uh, a court a courtroom with these people up on a dais and that your spirit guide stands behind you on the left side. Now, I was listening to Jim Semivan talking about uh, his encounter with these beings in his bedroom, and he was asked, uh, was there any telepathic communication? At which point he said, yeah, 
that was the interesting part. He said there there was this sort of entity behind me, and it had this this um, uh, guardian type thing going on about it. That was the words. He had had this guardian type thing going on, which immediately rang a bell for me. And I asked the interviewer, and I didn't get a question back to ask him again which side was the the voice coming from the 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 entity that he thought was this. Uh, guardian type thing and it sounded like uh, this may be uh, the experience on board or in in the room maybe a spirit guide it may not be an alien at all maybe a spirit guide and that is uh, further backed up by the fact that um, when I did the book UFO Sky Pilots I um, started getting people late in the interviews the 36 people or 37 or whatever it was people who started talking to me about people being behind them the one particular guy was a colonel from the US Air Force retired colonel in Los Angeles uh, who told me that he remembered going on the ship and he was standing in the middle of the ship and there was he said he didn't know whether they were humans or whether they were aliens somebody behind him who said okay go ahead and do it and he said I don't know what to do and the voice behind him said you know what to do just do it and that's when he put his hands on these on this panel and started to fly the craft so I started then asking people um, whether they had experience and I found that a lot of people had this experience I asked Whitley Strieber I said Whitley did you ever have somebody behind you that you couldn't see that was telling you uh, what to do and he said all the time and he described the, the one case where he uh, was at the panel and saw this panel board and got a thought in his head, oh, I'd love to steal this thing and take off with this flying saucer. And he said he could hear a voice behind him telepathically laughing. So you have this, this idea that um, the event, the beings that we have we, through our perceptual reality, uh, we interpret it to be a... Um, uh, an entity, a a being, but in the end, it may be uh, just somebody who's taking on a form that um, we can uh, we can relate with. Which goes back to the expression. I just want to find it here. Um, Yossi Ronan uses this expression, and he talked about this. He said um, um, he was told. The way you see us is defined by you. When we visit your world, we temporarily have a physical body. Doesn't sound like a biological entity to me. Defined in a certain way, but it is not the only form or our original essence. In our dimension, there's no need for a physical body defined in a particular way as in yours. You share the definition of reality that are given to you but you are not aware of it. And then a quote from Dr. Kate Green, who anybody who's had an encounter with a uh, entity or missing time and this sort of thing, the government sends them to Dr. Kate Green, who was the control officer for the remote viewing program in the 1970s and has worked on the paranormal phenomena his entire career and is still working on it. So he works on it and what he talks about 
uh, his objection to the extraterrestrials, and this is based upon probably talking to hundreds of witnesses, military witnesses who have had encounters with beings. He said, if the witness was inclined to believe in extraterrestrials, then that is what he or she would see and would experience. In reality, said Dr. Kate Green, what the witnesses were actually viewing was nothing like the different interpretations that existed in each of their minds, and again, it can appear different to each of the witnesses present at the same event. And this is um, a, a part of the UFO phenomena that I've always brought up when it comes to sightings, that I had two sightings in 1975 and 1976 where the object changed from the time I first saw it till it came close to me, it was a different object. It was started as one object, came to another. That this phenomena can morph, and it can also morph in terms of entities. Uh, the first uh, abduction case that I'm aware of is Nancy Tremaine in July of 1961. She stated at that point that she, uh, her being, who she called Mr., uh, asked what he looked like. She said he was he had, was a human being. He had sort of dark hair. He was sitting at a panel board. Uh, later, she talked about him being a reptilian, and then she talks about uh, now sort of an etheric being where she doesn't really see him and just encounters uh, sort of uh, messages back and forth uh, through her mind. So you have this, this person changing um, different uh, beings going through a person's life. And the last one I'll bring up is uh, the Mission Rama, which I basically say... Uh, backs up the fact that what you see is what you believe. As Kit Green says, if you're uh, inclined to believe in a certain type of being, that's the one you're going to see. So I bring up Mission Rama. People always want to talk about the greys and the reptilians and the mantids. Uh, I did two books on the uh, Mission Rama group, which was a group that started in 1974 in Peru. And by two brothers who had these encounters with beings that uh, were from a certain planet and had a base on Ganymede, the moon of, of Jupiter. And um, they had numerous encounters. And I was told by Sixto Paz, one of the guys that started it, that there are probably about 25,000 Mission Rama people. They're all uh, on uses the same technique. It's a C5 type thing. Uh, it may even be where Stephen Greer got his idea how to bring how to bring the, the encounters in. They would um, uh, have these encounters they called program sightings where they would raise their vibration and they would use oming and meditation and prayer and believe this to be a very spiritual type of event. And the beings that they saw were all very positive beings, uh, beautiful, muscular, long hair, and I say uh, I absolutely defy anybody to find uh, a Mission Rama person who has had an encounter, a negative encounter, or an encounter with a gray or a reptilian or mantid. The beings are always these, uh, almost look like uh, prophets from, from the Bible, very uh, sort of wise and uh, uh, beautiful and good aliens. And there you get the, the idea that we are part of what we're actually seeing. And finally, in, in relation to the Mission Rama, you have the same thing where Kit Green says that uh, it can appear to each of the witnesses present 
different at the same event. So I remember I did um, the one book I was talking about, the portals. The Mission Rama people are able to, from time to time to open what they call Zendras, which are portals, where the beings will actually appear inside this um, this Zendra and the uh, seven people are allowed to be go inside. The open one, uh, um, Ricardo Gonzalez, um, was able to open one in 2014, 2015, and um, I talked to most of the witnesses who were in those Zendras at that time, and in the 2015 event, there was a former uh, U.S. Navy, 24 years in the Navy, who was then had gone on to be an architect out of Los Angeles, uh, who was in the Zendra with the um, with the being whose name was Antarel. So there was Antarel was a ten foot tall being, and then there was these two sort of tall beings beside him, and then these small beings who were in among the trees at at Mount Shasta, poking out behind, and they seemed to have these what they referred to as iPads that they believed were keeping this Zendra. They were the technicians that were opening this Zendra. And they were sort of uh, uh, smiling and looking, poking their heads out from behind these trees. So these people would all describe this. And um, so I, I got most of the trans the people talk about it. And then I talked to, in 2014, Antarell appeared solid. He was um, a solid being in 2015. Uh, he was described, and the two beings with him were described as floating, and they were holograms. You could actually see the trees through uh, Antaral and these other two beings. So this uh, architect fellow who was a translator, he had never had a UFO sighting, uh, had just gone there to translate for uh, Paula Harris, and um, so I asked him, I said, uh, did, you, did you see Antaral? Yeah, I saw him. And I said, uh, so he was a hologram? And he said, no. What do you mean he was a hologram? No, he wasn't a hologram. And I said, well, that's what everybody said. He said, it wasn't a hologram. I said, but everybody said he was a hologram. You didn't see the hologram? And he said, look, I was close enough. I could see the lines in his face. There was no hologram. He was as solid as solid could be. And that's where you get this, this idea that whatever the UFO intelligence is, uh, I'm sure it's much more complex than some extraterrestrial on another planet, especially a biological one that reproduces and produces children who has come to the planet and got lost and is doing some sort of scientific research or whatever it is. This mystery, as I've repeated time and time again, the more I've looked at it over 48 years, it just gets more and more and more complex and we actually know less and less as we go along. And I think it's uh, important to keep that in mind that our um, perceptual reality is usually going to be wrong. It's not what we actually are looking at. They are projecting things they want us to see and we have to get past that and realize uh, that the universe is uh, almost the idea that it's not more magnificent than you think. It's more magnificent and complex than you could ever imagine. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll do another episode soon. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, 
or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.